need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome back to the China Business Cast. Today is Simon again uh, with a special host. This episode, uh, we'll focus a little bit more on the other side of China, not doing business in China, but actually with China, uh, based in uh, Europe. Whereas today we have Betty uh, Tuzo for as a guest. Uh, she's a French businesswoman and CEO of Paris to Beijing agency, and she will explain today more about how foreign companies can make their brand known in the, to, in the Chinese market. Uh, so, Betty, very welcome today to our show. Thank you very much, Simon. Very happy to be here with you today. Good. So, for our listeners, can you explain a little bit more about your background and, and what your company is doing, what Paris to Beijing is doing? Yeah, sure, with pleasure. So, my history in China is... Um, <laughs> kind of a romantic story. So I fell in love with China for the very, very first time in uh, 2006. And I moved in Beijing in 2008. So it was the year of the Olympic Games. And uh, I went there to follow my Chinese family at that time. And I lived there in China for eight wonderful years. And I basically learned everything I know now about e-commerce there in China. So before I run my first e-commerce company, I learned Chinese Mandarin and Chinese culture for four years. I think it was very important for me to deeply understand the country and to be able to manage uh, my team and have successful relationship with Chinese companies. So these four years helped me a lot to feel like home and being able to communicate and work with Chinese local people. And this teached me more than I couldn't imagine. So I founded there in Beijing, uh, my first company in the e-commerce industry with my Chinese partner. And at that time, uh, we sold products from China to Europe uh, through our own website, but also on marketplaces such as uh, Amazon, the discount price minister, and other local marketplaces. And uh, also we worked very closely for a few years with uh, with Groupon all over the world. And besides B2C business model, we also developed uh, B2B sales on Alibaba.com. And this is how I learned a lot about Chinese factories, how to produce products, how to optimize the supply chain, how to do cross-border logistics from uh, China to Europe and in the reverse. And we also learned how to sell on Taobao and other Chinese marketplaces to stock our products. And uh, from 2014, we started to reverse the model by doing cross-border from Europe to China. And uh, this is where my adventure to help foreign foreign brands to enter Chinese market started. And so uh, three years ago now, I decided to come back in Paris and use the eight years experience in China e-commerce to help French brands to sell in the Chinese um, online market. So now this company, Paris to Beijing, uh, it's a French company based in Paris uh, with my with my team, all our native uh, Chinese people. And we provide services for brands and retailers who want to reach Chinese consumers online. Uh, either they are in China mainland or when they travel uh, in Europe. Uh, so now Paris to Beijing, we propose two kind of business model. 
So one is to help the brands to develop their cross-border e-commerce um, in China through the cross-border business model. Uh, and the second model is to provide them drive-to-store services. So for the brands who want to attract Chinese tourists in their shop. Uh, yeah, so basically, this is uh, what we are doing right now. Wow. So that's quite a transition going from China to Europe, from Europe to China. So is the, did, was it any, can you leverage on the experience that you had doing it from China to Europe and then reversing it from Europe to China? Is there similarities or are we talking about a whole different landscape and you have to figure out everything from scratch? I think... Uh, there are a lot of common points. The reason why I, I start to switch uh, the business model is because we start to have uh, needs from European countries. So at that time, we met uh, a whole group company, so a huge company, and uh, we met them. I don't remember how this came, but uh, uh, we heard that they have some difficulties to be in touch with Alibaba. So we managed to help them to have a meeting with Tmall, with the Tmall team. And we helped them, you know, to have a few meetings with them. And at that time, I think, okay, how come such a huge company like Hayhold can have difficulty to be, to be uh, you know, in connection with, uh, with Tmall, with Alibaba Group? So I thought maybe there is something to do here because uh, there is uh, really a gap be- between um, the communication uh, between international companies and the e-commerce sector is very difficult to understand from uh, for European countries. And we had the same issue in China. We heard the same thing. Chinese merchants has the same difficulty to understand the European market. So in fact, I think it's the same thing. When you can understand the Chinese market and the Chinese mindset, as I am French, so I quite understand the European mentality. I think it's a good match to do the both way, to help them to communicate and to make the connection between two companies. This is very similar. What is very different is, the, of course, the operations, because you don't do uh, the same, uh, you, don't, you don't use the same way of doing e-commerce in China or in Europe. So this need, yeah, for this part, I had to learn from not from zero, but I had to learn a lot of things to to help the French brands to sell in China because the market is moving very fast and the cross-border e-commerce moved very fast these past uh, few years. So, for example, for the platform Wang uh, Kaola, I really needed to to learn the marketplace from scratch because I never sell on it. So I read a lot of things. I follow Chinese merchants who, who really helps me to understand how to open an account, how to sell on this kind of platform. So yes, I, I found some similar points, but of course I had to learn from scratch on some topics. Yeah. And actually your learning is the, uh, is what your customer base is benefit from. <laughs> and so that's a very, uh, that's useful for them. For the merchants itself, I think you've seen the same from my side as well is, the reason we got into the uh, into China is because a lot of our customer base, merchants and platforms, started to do imports to China. So basically, also your probably your network was also changing into different business models, where suddenly import to China became for them 
a new business line and you also want to wanted to move together with them at least in, in my situation it was like that so based on you i also can tell that you were in the e-commerce space just reversed it from first china to europe then europe to china but actually your cross-cultural communication you know, the fact that you speak chinese mandarin and that you lived in china and your network is there is, is gonna help a lot for any change uh, you have to face and, and learning the topic is easy but the network is the toughest part i would say Yes, exactly. And this is a, a really interesting po point because we speak a lot about quincy and a lot of foreign people, they know the word quincy, what is quincy. But quincy is just not network in China and you know that very well. It's really something you developed. Um, it takes time and you, you have to prove a lot as a foreign people, even if we can speak Mandarin. It's like you really know to know your market. You You should know... Uh, you should have a, a really expertise on the e-commerce industry and Chinese people can feel that, you know, because they are very expert as Chinese merchants. If they are, ex ex if they do export or import, they really know the topics because they really are deeply in the operations day, day by day. So they can test us, you know, with some questions and so on. So once they know that we really know the subject, I think it's something we can have, you know, the connection for life. And when they trust us, as you just said, it's really a new door open and they start to, to, to need us <laughs> to open a new market. So yeah, this is uh, how it, uh, it happens. Chinese merchants, Chinese, ex uh, the, the people who do export start to, to, to ask me like, Betty, can you find some foreign brands? Can you go to France? Yeah. And can you help us to sign some uh, distribution contract and so on? And, and this is also one of the reasons I started this business because, uh, as you said, the networks in China just uh, start to to ask for help. Yeah. yeah the, what I see as well is the Chinese, you mentioned any country in the world, they will be able to give you a brand name or a product linked to that country. It's so, they, they've really done their homework. Chinese have really done mm -hmm. their homework. They know exactly what's there, but they need also other people within their network that they trust to help them get there and uh, open the doors and, and, and follow up on it. Exactly. Good. Mm. So before we go a little bit into the, um, uh, your, your strategy on how you can help brands, I, was, I found an online interview with you in 2017, and you mentioned that trade from Europe to China is still in its early stages. So when we are now in 2019, where are we now, according to your experience? Because you're in the middle of it. Yeah, this is a very good question because uh, I think we are still in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are, we still have a lot of work to do. And uh, as we as we spoke together early, I think it's like because yes, the Chinese market is still evolving and it's just the beginning of cross border. But in Europe, it's really like just the beginning because some of the countries are not mature uh, yet on the topic. For example, in France, the the brands and the retailers they only start now. Uh, to think, okay, China seems to be a very important market. So I'm going to put some budget besides to start to develop and to test the market. So from some country, it's really just the beginning. And for the, with um, a larger view, we can see that the market is moving uh, in a very interesting way. For example, the Alibaba group just uh, bought Wang Yikaola. 
So Carla is one of the major cross-border platform. Mm-hmm. So to sell from Europe to, to China. And I think from my point of view, I think this really is the beginning of maybe um, a new market opening. What I, what I want to say is like, if Alibaba is going to buy Kaola, maybe we will see new marketplaces coming because Alibaba can't have everything. I think, okay, we, we understand that they are the king in China and they want to be the king in cross-border in the both sides with AliExpress in the, in the, in the other sides. But I think maybe uh, some new marketplaces, we have a place uh, you know, to propose maybe very vertical uh, services so I'm really waiting for this kind of new new marketplaces, and uh, Very also. But what what would be your best guess on this? How how it will because it is basically the number one to bought the number number three <laughs> market player. So basically, it's back to Alibaba and Jingdong competing with each other. Uh, yes. So my guess will be maybe because uh, what we see is like the government is really moving on the regulation for the cross-border e-commerce. So as we can see at the beginning of the year, uh, the, they change a lot of rules regarding the, the customs and the taxes and so on. So, and this is good because uh, it helps to regulate the gray market with all the Daigo sales. Um, so the Daigo, yes, we have to define this. The Daigo is the, the, the Chinese people in Europe, the Chinese tourism when they buy the product and they sell it directly to you, to China or friends or family or even for business. So this, this is what we call Daigo. So this is not legal. We call that in a gray zone. This is a gray market. So the new regulations start to regulate, I mean, the, the, the gray market. So I think maybe if the government continue to be like, um, to move on this, on this topic, maybe they will start to, to, to open the possibility to smaller brands, maybe to sell directly to a new marketplaces without so much um, rules about, you know, when you want to open an account on Xiaohongshu or Timor or GD, you need a lot of certification. You need to have like a, a minimum amount of revenues in your own countries. You need to have very specific products. We can be, uh, we can have a large volume sales in China. I mean, it's, it's very constraining for small brands. So what I think it's like, maybe if the government support that, a new marketplace will come and will allow like small brands to be able to sell directly to China, not without so much complication in between. Mm. So this is a dream, but maybe it will, uh, it will appear in a couple of... Uh, well, you always, always should be dreaming. So. But you, <laughs> you just mentioned already the, the Daigo and the Chinese tourists. Uh, Obviously, France has a, uh, a lot of beautiful brands that are very interested. Uh, Chinese are very interested in these brands. A lot of tourists obviously travel to France and bring back a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. they find cheaper in France than in, in China. So how, how do you advise your customer base about Chinese tourists, about how to optimize or maximize the potential of them and, and the Daigo business? And what would be your advice to them? Well, uh, the first step is uh, they they should get um, visibility in China because if the brand is not well-known in China mainland, if the Chinese people can't have access uh, of this brand or products online, they won't have any possibility to do drive-to-store, I mean, track track tourists in their shop or, I don't know, in their hotel or restaurant. 
So the first step is, of course, to get the WeChat official account because now it's really the first step to get visibility in China. Not maybe for the sale, but at least for the marketing, it's like it's really the first social media they should activate to, to start to generate a community around their brand. So if their goal is to do drive to store, so drive to store is the action to attract the consumers to a retail shop. The WeChat outbound ads are really the best format to, to target the Chinese traveler with the localization functionalities. And uh, the brand in this way, they can push advertisement and store coupons to the Chinese tourism. So the first step, yeah, for a French brand who wants to get to know among the Chinese tourism will be WeChat official account. The second step, of course, is the KOL, so the key opinion leaders, because these influencers, they will test the product and recommend it uh, to different kind of social media. Uh, so this will allow Chinese people to get to know the existence of the brand in Europe and attract them later on their shop during their travel trip. I think the third is uh, the travel channels because uh, as a brand in France or in Europe, if you have a restaurant, if you have an hotel, if you have your retail shop, you can capture the audience before the trip. You can advertise on stage trip, for example. And when they are in France or in Europe, when they travel, you can push a notification on Jamping, for example, for the food, on CR, on Mafango, on Fliggy, and even on Alipay marketing, if you want to push some promotion coupons. And the third one, I think not the four, I'm sorry, it's like the Daigo sales, as we said. Uh, a brand can get visibility if the Chinese tourism already bought a product when they traveled and they start to take picture and post it on uh, marketplaces or WeChat and they start to sell the product because Daigo, this will get visibility on the Chinese marketplaces, the domestic Chinese marketplaces. So the Chinese consumers will be able to see the product and they will say, oh my God, this product is already sold in China. So when I will take the plane and arrive in Paris, the first thing I'm going to do is to buy this product because this seems to be like a very high quality product and so on. So, mm. yeah, I think it's like step by step. So all, all of these four that you mentioned is, is really focused on being visible. The visibility on the, with the WeChat official account, the KOL, the travel channels, the, the Daigo, the, basically the tourists want to rebuy, right? Yes, good. I think the major point uh, for, uh, for foreign, foreign company, either they are doing service or either they are doing product is to focus on the content because content is everything in China. Yeah. And you, yeah. And so they should, uh, they should use every, every channel they can to get this visibility. So regarding to these, you mentioned it in order one, two, three, four, is that also the order that you would advise or is this a random uh, order when it comes to the strategy on bringing your, your brand, your product or your service uh, visible? I think you should do it like a, in a Chinese way. You know, it's like you do everything at the same time <laughs> and you just try, you test and you see which one is going to, you know, to, to have the, the best results in, the, in a faster way. Does it depend also on, the, on the, the industry or is it quite straightforward? No, I think, of course, it's like, uh, as we spoke earlier, China is very 
complex because everything should be customized and everything is very different uh, for each brand and for each product categories. So yeah, it should be like really case by case, depend on if the brand do baby product or food or fashion or other things. So when you mention these these four things and the need, uh, brand needs to or needs to use them all four, all four of them, what would be roughly the budget that they have to keep in mind? And you also mentioned that a lot of brands are already preparing. So that means they're prepare, planning for budget for this year or next year. And what, what would be your recommendation when it comes to budget-wise? Yeah, sure. Budget is a... Uh... <laughs> It's a huge topic. This is the first question every time. It's like, yeah. but how much uh, will it cost? Yeah. But it's like, okay, do you have $1 million? Because if you have, we can do everything. We yeah. can do the impossible. <laughs> we can buy, I mean, uh, you know, go, go buy one of the most uh, famous influencer and you will get 1 million views in one day. So, <laughs> but of course we have, we do have some budget to, to inform to the audience. Uh, we have some example, um, let's say about WeChat, because uh, of course WeChat is very important and WeChat is one of the most expensive. So if a brand wants to do marketing advertising, I mean, advertising company, it will be kind of expensive, but the uh, audience is quite huge. So for example, if we do a WeChat moment ads, it will cost the company at least uh, 6,000 euros for each campaign. Uh, and the CPM will be the CPM will be one hundred to three hundred RMB. CPM is a contribution margin, right? Yes, yes. Uh, but they will have another solution. It will be like uh, KOL articles, always on WeChat. So if they want to do like you know they want to go through an influencer to wrote an article, it's like it's more flexible and it's uh, it will be cheaper. For example, one thousand RMB for one article to be posted on an official account. This would be like the cheaper price. Mm. And but it really depends on the KOL size and of course on the social media platform. Another example is for Xiaongshu, so Little Red Book. On Little Red Book, you can find KOL. A lot of KOL uh, are doing advertising for foreign brands, and you will find KOL from. 2,000 Raminbi to 30, even 100,000 Raminbi. So it really depends on the budget the brands can, can spend. So would you, would you recommend the, the listeners to use KOLs or travel channels focused on the European market that are living in Europe and promoting China? Or are you really saying that it's better to get in touch with people that are Chinese living in China and let them promote your product or service? Yeah. Uh, it's a very good question. And I know that uh, now there are very specific agencies will focus on the Chinese people who lived in Europe. Uh, I think it's basically the same audience because they use the same social media app. They use the same you know, tools. So even if the Chinese people is in China or in Europe, when they look at your brand, when they look at your product and they click on it, they share it, it will be the same impact on the, on the platform. So basically, I think it will have the same, yeah, the same consequences. Do you have any example of a product, service or a brand that is blossomed because of using the visibility uh, tools that you just mentioned? 
Uh, on the travel aspect, I think it's very early to have like a very successful um, marketing case. But of course, in China, we have a lot. And I think this new year with the pig, the piggy year, uh, I'd be incredible for foreign, brand, for, for foreign brands because they have a lot of uh, new ideas and some of them are really, really fun. For example, we have the, the Maybelline brands. Uh, they had like a new lipstick series called, uh, called Red on Fire. And they created a custom magenta set, you know, with the traditional symbols on the titles replaces, replaced with lipstick. And uh, the product keyword Maybelline Magion, Magion went viral and had been shared on several social media platforms. Even we just speak about Google Boy, which I'd say that one of his two favorite items this year was Maybelline's custom Magion set. And what is good with this uh, campaign case is that they mix with outdoor model. So they do online advertising, but they pair the campaign with uh, pop-up stores in Shenzhen and Tianjin. And they're, you know, setting up a fire truck and magic table for visitors to take selfies. So this really shows that when we do, when a brand do online campaign, they always, always have to think about the offline impact. And I think this kind of case is very good to know because it really makes the outdoor model. And another example is would be like uh, the Gucci campaign. I think it was last year. They, you know, they use the artificial influencer, Erika, the robot, the AI, the AI, you know, created by the Japanese uh, artist. And it was incredible because I think it's like they really reached the limits of, uh, of uh, artificial image. And uh, this had been a great successful campaign. Uh, they, they released it on WeChat via an article titled, uh, Why are you scared of me? And the response was very positive. And I think they generate uh, uh, 100,000 views since it's released. So it seems that Chinese consumers really like uh, artificial influencer. <laughs> yeah. So, so these are definitely two success cases. Um, do you see any examples where it goes a little bit less well? <laughs> I think it's like uh, we have a ton of uh, very successful case because I think the, the most successful case would be like every brand will really focus on content and really try, uh, you know, to be innovative and to bring, to really focus on user experience will be the greatest successful campaign because mm. uh, the user experience is, uh, is the key to be able to, to reach a larger audience in China. So what would be the mistakes not to make? Oh my God. <laughs> the mistakes not to make, like it's the first one would be not to be innovative because we should be innovative. As we said, it's like bring user entertainment, bring user a really nice experience. So if the brand doesn't stick like that, it would be a big mistake. So the brand really, really should think about why a user will interact with your ads. Oh, among all the information they get every day, what, why this kind of content you, you, you advertise would let them click and share your ads. So I think if they don't think about the retail terms, uh, they will lose a lot of, uh, uh, you know, audience. I think the biggest mistake uh, they can make is, as we said, not to focus on content because 
the content is the key, very powerful key in China. And uh, emotional content uh, is very interesting because, you know, Chinese people, they really like the storytelling. So they want a brand to make them dream. So how a brand can, can make a Chinese consumer dream. So the brand should really focus on how, uh, you know, uh, young Chinese people think nowadays, how is doing, you know, within uh, the traditional way of living in China and the modern style they have to be like so connecting on their smartphone every day. So the, the, the brand really should focus on that. It's like how to make a great content. And I think the third mistake a brand can make is to not choose the right advertising format for the campaign they, they are doing. Because, for example, in WeChat, you have so many different kind of formats. You have like uh, the WeChat moments ads, you have the, the WeChat official accounts ads, you have the mini program ads, and you have the video, the image, you have so much different kind of, uh, of tools. You should really use the, the right one for the content you are publishing. Otherwise, it won't have a big, a big impact. I think what you earlier mentioned as well, that uh, you're curious to know who will be the one replacing Kala after it's been taken over by Alibaba. Uh-huh. I remember when Xiaohongshu entered the market, they also had a very uh, entertaining campaign where I think they had this fresh meat campaign where they have these vans all over the city, different cities where let girls go in and there are half-naked guys which they can do blindfoldedly, can feel around the products, but also other products, if you understand what I mean. Uh-huh. And also do like delivery service with with uh, handsome delivery guys that come deliver the product directly to their house. So they're entertaining the the, the dreaming and the, the emotion that comes with the content. It's definitely something that gives you a chance to go viral without, of course, offen- being offensive, mm-hmm. but really uh, on the positive side and an opportunistic side. Mm-hmm. And really living the, the Chinese dream. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is so like, and you know, it's like Chinese dream. It's, uh, it's crazy because uh, both of us, you know, we really love China. We live so many years there and you're still in China. But the Chinese dream is still in our mind and we can see that outside in the street. The government is so powerful on this kind of uh, propaganda uh, slogan. And I think this is very important for a brand to follow that, to follow, you know, the to follow to follow the politics in China because the the politics the politics in China is the biggest influencer. So when we do advertising, we should follow that. What kind of message uh, we should put inside because uh, the people are following this kind of very you know patriotic and national way of thinking. They really like that. So Chinese dream. This is what we can, they can see on the street every day. So yeah, the brand should really be powerful on that. How to make them dream? So, where would you where would you go to? Or where would you re- recommend the listeners to go to to find more about what's the strategy from the government and how they can leverage on that information and use it for their own benefit? Oh yeah, this is like uh, this is very uh, this is a tough question because I think so for the you <laughs> that's also. <laughs> Because, yeah, you know, this kind of information is mainly in Chinese, in Chinese language. So this can be hard for when you are in Europe and you want to reach this kind of information. So, of course, I would say that you you should be uh, reaching for help with a Chinese person, a Chinese company or an expert on the topic. 
Yeah, well, the five-year plan and the 10-year plan is definitely, it's very high level, but it definitely shows the ambition and the direction mm-hmm. and definitely the localized subsidies that are available in China market for Chinese entrepreneurs is also immensely focused on certain industries. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a lot of levels to look into, not just on national level, but I would say also not only on macro level, but also like on micro level, you will be able to find a lot of resources. For, most of them actually are free that are available for Chinese to use, not just information, not just finance, but also just uh, support. And, and that's also what you mentioned, basically the support from Chinese government to be able to get the lower class to the middle class and the middle class to the upper class and, and get the, the country out of uh, poverty, uh, which is still the, a big issue within China. I mean, everyone can say how powerful China is, but in the end, it's still in a country that still needs to develop and has a lot of issues itself to solve. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I'm curious, it's like, what about, you know, in Netherlands and Belgium and, and Germany? Do you, are you able to reach, uh, I mean, this kind of high value information from the Chinese government or politics? Or do you have like English content? So firsthand information is, is very, is not available. You really have to, we have, we have the, the team in, in China that most of the time will provide us the information and then we will have it translated. So it will most of the time will be secondhand uh, information. And then that's still fast enough because the news travels really well, really fast when in the uh, community. So the fact that just like yourself, we have a partner network, which provides us a lot of useful information. And most of the time they will also clarify because if you only rely on a translation, it's not enough because the meaning doesn't always translate well like the mm-hmm. underlying meaning. And that's something that's crucial to, to capture because that's the real message. And that's really hidden in the way Chinese sentences and words are structured to actually uh, figure that out. And, and that's why we, are, we really rely on our, on our network and our customers and they will explain as well how we should read the message and how we can leverage on it and what are their needs because their strategy will also be adjusted based on that. So automatically we will have to adjust as well. When I talk about Chinese, at least customers or companies we work with, they will have their understanding as well on how to leverage on these. And then we have to supply because we have to provide the brands, the information or the material for them to be able to leverage on that opportunity. So the, it will come back. The information will definitely come back. It will not be firsthand. Uh, it will normally be secondhand, you know, and that's fine because we're supplying, we're, we're facilitating, they're uh, facilitating the trade part. And I think for you as a consultant, once you get into a conversation, you ask the right questions, you will get the information uh, that's valuable for your for your customers. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, key is the asking the right questions and being aware that there are some changes, and then you can go deeper, like ah. What does these changes mean and how leverage on that? And what is, how does it change your strategy? Because that's continuous adjusting to the, uh, to the strategies of our customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. So good stuff. Um, for, for you, any, any, any topics or things that you would like to um, go, in, go into a little bit deeper? Well, I think, uh, I think we, speak, uh, we spoke about 
a lot of a uh, lot of topic but uh yeah no from my side it's okay mm-hmm. but i i think maybe we spoke a lot about uh you know wechat but uh foreign brands should know that there are a lot of other other platform and they really should you just spoke a lot about information i mean the power of information how you can reach and grab the the right info i think they should really do as you say they um homework on that yeah. you know if uh it's the same if they if a brand wants to do cross-border in europe for example uh, i'm a french brand and i want to sell in italy in, in germany or in uk I will Google, you know, how the the Italian people buy online, what kind of payment solution do they use, what kind of product do they like, how they buy online, what, you know, their, their consumer habits and so on. So I think really the, it's really like the brands in Europe should do the same for China because it's so different. The first step is really to really be interesting in the country, like look for information and be able to, um, to be very interesting in the country, the Chinese mindsets, what kind of product they buy, why, when, where, because this is the key to be very like um, in the project because uh, agencies like us, you know, our companies, we, we really want to help the brand to develop in China. But the first step is like the brand should be 100% in the consumer mind. Uh, so yeah, this is the only thing I would I wanted to say. <laughs> no, that's exactly also your your company. I mean, when you talk about doing your homework, you provide training, professional training to understand the market, the e-commerce, the WeChat, just to get the base baseline information, just to be make sure that some part of the homework is done. And then you go into the implementation when it comes to execution you with WeChat or with any other of the uh, channels to create the uh, visibility. And then once that's clear, you're on the consulting part. So actually the whole, what we've discussed is basically also your, your the services that you that you provide, the training, reach at management, the consulting, mm-hmm. to be able to cross, to bridge, be a bridge between France and China and localize it. Uh, you just mentioned France to Italy. I mean, both countries are very stuck on their own languages when it comes oh. to communication. And, and and that's no different for for when it comes to France and China to overcome that difference, to be able to uh, communicate the message properly, not just translate it, but communicate it. Um, that's where France has a, has a huge potential. So I'm mm. happy to uh, to hear from you that you are, you are there for them to be <laughs> able to uh, help them get into the Chinese market and get their French dream completed and at the same time help a lot of Chinese getting the products that they want to live their dream. So that's quite a strong message that you are a part of. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And we, we really enjoy to do, you know, to be, to be on top of the bridge and to be able to, to look at both, uh, both countries every day. It's really enjoyable. So if people want to reach out to you, where, where can they find you or where can they find some more information? Um, yeah. uh, well, they can find everything online on our website, paristobeijing.com. Um, they can reach me also on my LinkedIn, uh, on my WeChat, and of course, uh, with my email. All right. We will share this all in the notes of this podcast. Paris to Beijing is with uh, number two. Not with T O, so Paris two with the letter two, 
Beijing. Mm-hmm. Just to if people start searching now, so they uh, they know where to go. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, uh, Betty. It's good to talk to you again. It's been two years, I think, that we spoke. So we're very happy to to touch base again and uh, seeing our both our, our companies and our careers growing. But at the same time, the main key point for both of us is to be able to provide content and information to uh, companies that want to become active in China. And this is exactly what what this podcast, China Business Class, is all about. So thank you for sharing your information and your knowledge. And um, hope to see you next time soon, either in China or maybe in France. Yes, thank you, Simon. Hope to see you soon too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry, China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.